Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. We have been dabbling in the Matthew series, but we're really getting rolling now as we start out this year. And before I dive into that, I'm going to take a couple minutes probably in these, each of these uh, Sundays here in, in January just to highlight something from my end in particular uh, and I just want to highlight something about this coming year, and that's that we have four uh, guest speakers coming in that I want to just note for you. Uh, the first is uh, Dr. Charles Ware. Uh, Dr. Ware is just a special guy. I've known of him, been under his teaching for 20 years. He's the president of Crossroads Bible College here in Indianapolis. He's going to be here in five Sundays on February 10th. So he'll be here in five Sundays, February 10th. You'll want to be here for that. Secondly, then, in May, we've got Scott Hamilton. Uh, Many of you know Scott. Scott is the pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Glasgow, Scotland. We're bringing Scott over. We have just a relationship with them. We have for years. And uh, Scott's going to be here in May and uh, uh, preaching for us at that time. Then uh, Miche Paul, who is a church plant of ours in St. George, or St. Vincent Island, Georgetown, the city in St. Vincent Island in the Grenadines. And uh, he is pastoring there, and we've been just a, a part of that. Uh, talked with Skype with him about every other week, and just a special, special guy, right? Uh, many of us know him very well, and uh, I think he's going to be coming in June. So, with, so far, we've got Indianapolis, we've got Glasgow, Scotland, we've got the Caribbean coming, and then I'm really excited about John Kelly. Uh, John has been just a personal friend that I've known through uh, over the years association with Harvest, and he is the pastor of Chicago West Bible Church uh, in parts of Chicago that uh, you hear a lot of news about. And uh, John is just a very unique guy. He's going to be here in mid-October, and I mean that in a positive way. (laughs) He's a very unique guy, and what he's doing in ministry and things going, and I'm just so looking forward to John being here in October and just communicating and bringing God's word to us here with that. So, exciting year ahead. Exciting year ahead, and uh, grateful for these men coming and bringing God's word. Well, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. It's our first Sunday together in 2019, and there is always something kind of exciting about a new year. There's also something that's maybe a little bit unsettling about the start of a new year. And this makes today a perfect day to enter into Matthew chapter 3. Because there's some exciting parts about it. And there's some unsettling parts about it just in what's going on in the text. Um, and, and that makes this just a perfect occasion for us to be spending time here. The gospel arrives And uh, right away, we see lives being turned upside down and inside out right away. Uh, Three items as we go into the sermon series through Matthew, particularly if you are new with us here, I want for you just to know some things about how I'm approaching uh, this particular series. Uh, Through Matthew, and then later in the latter half of this year, we're going to be going through the latter half of the book of Acts. Uh, This is going to be not an exhaustive study of these 
uh, uh, books. And, and what I mean by that is there, when you dive into God's word, you can dive at different levels. And you can take uh, uh, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, paracope or story by, by story, uh, or, uh, and you can do it at, let me term it this way, you can do it at different altitudes. Uh, there's like 500 foot altitude when you are like just barely off the ground and, and dear Lord, keep the engine running. Uh, then there is like 10,000 foot altitude, then there's 15,000 foot altitude, 25,000, and uh, you get the idea. I want for you to know we're going to be doing a study through Matthew and then the latter half of Acts at about 10 to 15,000 foot altitude. That means we're going to be taking a lot of texts uh, as we go through. In fact, here in a couple Sundays, we are going to do the entire Sermon on the Mount in one Sunday. That's three chapters. By the way, Jesus is going to be here preaching that. And uh, it's not me. It's not me. And uh, excited about that. So we're, we're going to be at about a 10,000 foot altitude through this. Uh, so it's not going to be exhaustive. It's not going to be event and park and event by event by event. Uh, instead, we're going to be kind of moving through. And that's going to uh, mean that I can't get into all the rabbit holes that I might want to. Um, uh, and that's okay. Because you can so Sundays are going to be much, we're kind of covering it at altitude, that in some ways I'm setting it up for and encouraging you to dive in in the week as we uh, go through these books. The other thing in my approach is, is that, especially with narrative texts, and 70% of the Bible is narrative, and story, real stories that are taking place, God in real life going on, and just I so approach it to where I want to let the journey unfold. So we're not going to be going to the end of the story and pulling it all the way back in the beginning of the story. That also means that as we go through this, for me as I go th take us through this, that means there's going to be some things where, and even today, where we're going to go like, what do you mean by that? And we're going to go, uh, we're going to wait. Because the story unfolds. And part of what ends up happening is we want everything that's unsettling settled. And part of the narrative is the fact of be good with being unsettled. Let it unfold. Let's take this like we've never been on this journey through Matthew before. And, um, and in fact, as a church, we have never been through the book of Matthew before. So we are doing that together. Okay, so those are kind of some ground things going on as we dive in and help orient you. So uh, we've been, in the last couple chapters, we've kind of been, uh, if you will, taxing out to the runway. Uh, we're lined up on the runway, time to push the throttle in. Let's take off. We're headed to about 10,000 feet. And God, I pray as we dive into your word that you would show yourself. Uh, I pray that we would see you and you, we would see you at work, because you at work relates to our lives. And God, our lives want to be about your work, and want to magnify your name, and hold you high. So Father, I just ask, today, and in these coming weeks, and in this coming year, we dive into your word that you would just show yourself glorious. And frankly, God, I ask that you would turn us inside out and upside down, and that our lives would be refreshed, renewed, revived, or maybe for the first time come into real relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We look forward to it, and here we go. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we begin with John arrives. John arrives. Let me read verses one through four in chapter three. In those days, 
John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the way, that's a short sermon. Uh, verse 3, for this is, a, this is he, John, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one call, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. Yum. Well, let's just hold there a couple things about John here. Right out of the gate, we learn some of the things that John is, is doing in his ministry activities. Uh, three of them. Uh, he comes and he prepares, he preaches, and he baptizes. Let's talk about each of those a little bit. He arrives, first of all, I'm going to say he arrives to prepare. And he prepares for the Lord. It's a stunning task. Uh, know this, Matthew has already been in chapters 1 and 2 tying the Old Testament to the Christ, the Messiah that would come. Now here in chapter 3, we find Matthew continuing to tie the Old Testament into what's happening here. And we see that here, he quotes, he puts Isaiah 40 verse 3. And he's pointing out that John's ministry is that of preparing the way for Christ to enter into the scene of redemptive history on earth. And so here we have this thing here that is taking place. It, and, and it might be, yeah, I know that, I know that. But, but listen, don't forget, it has been since Genesis 3 that God has said, one is coming, that Satan will bruise him, but he will be the dragon slayer. Okay, and ever since Genesis 3, there has been, he's coming, there's one that's coming, there's one that's coming. Uh, last week I made mention, there's like how many prophecies about him coming? Like 300, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah that would come. And then here, he's pulling out of the Old Testament, and John is preparing the way for that. That means he's like there. Now, understand, preparing the way in the Old Testament with what was happening here. This was putting it in a context where kings would, uh, great generals would enter into a city. They would have someone or someones go before the king, go before the general, and they would clear the roads. They would take the rocks out. I mean, they didn't have rubber tires in those days. They didn't have shocks in those days like we have. And the roads didn't have asphalt. I mean, they were like dirt and whatever there was. And so they're smoothing it out because they want a nice smooth entry in. No one wants to come in just all rattled to pieces, and then you have to give a speech or whatever you kings, whatever kings do. So they would have, wouldn't you want to be these people cleaning the road? Like, not really. It doesn't sound like a very fun job, to be frank about it. In fact, it's kind of like a very menial job. And yet, that's the idea from the Old Testament that is coming. There is one that is going to be coming, crying in the wilderness... And he's going to be preparing the way. And Matthew is telling us, this is the dude. John is the man. Uh, by the way, two of the verses following Isaiah 43, 40 verse 3 say this. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough place is plain. Uh, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. In other words, even in Isaiah, there's this idea that when this one comes, things are going to be turned inside out and upside down is the terminology I'm using here. 
And we even see that, that that mountains are going to be made low and and valleys are going to be lifted up. So when this one comes, expect him to rattle cages. And he gets rattling today. Uh, Let's keep going. So he prepares the way. Uh, Let me read verses 5 through 12. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. By the way, I don't have time today to make it, but I'll just mention this. Back in chapter 2, it talks about how all of Jerusalem and Judea and the, and the surrounding areas were also bothered just like Herod was. Remember that, if you're here the other Sunday? Remember that? Now, 30 years later, they're all heading out to John. God's at work over a few years, a few decades. So they're all coming out. Um, Let's see, verse 6. And they were baptized by John in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he, when John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Now there is a guy who knows how to win people. Is that right? I mean, I'll tell you, we live in a culture, in a world today, where the greatest offense in the world is to offend someone. And that's actually a problem. Because the gospel offends. And in here, I'm not saying that, we go, that you go to work or you go in your neighborhood and go next door at lunchtime and go, by the way, brood of vipers, don't do that. Okay, that is not winning people. But I will say this, John lays it on the line. By the way, he is talking to the religious elitists in this. He's not talking to everybody. You brood of vipers, it's this idea of, you born of snakes. He doesn't stop there. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Whoo, boy. John comes to prepare and John comes to preach. And I'll just say this, that's a stunning preach. That is a stunning call that he's giving here. A few things about this. John's overall call, by the way, to everyone is repent. Repent. Why? Well, the text tells us uh, up in verse 2, for something is at hand. It says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When something's at hand, that's exciting. Remember, he's the one laying the groundwork. He's calling out, repent, repent, for something is at hand. 
And we know from Isaiah 40 that he's the one doing that. It's like the king is coming and he's clearing the road out. And as he's going down the road, it's not just about the dirt and the rocks, but it's even about the surrounding environment upon which is coming. It's almost like this one is coming, clearing the way and calling out to the people all around, hey, repent, repent, uh, something is at hand, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew uses that term all throughout. I'm not going to go into it right now. We're going to let it unfold as time moves along. But he's giving this sense that something heavenly is coming, right? Some kind of kingdom is coming in this. It's exciting. Verse 3 talks about the way of the Lord is at hand, if you will. And then verse 7, for something is to come. And he notes a wrath to come. By the way, there's good news and there's bad news in what John is saying. There is something exciting that is at hand, and know this, there is something that is really seriously bad that is also eventually coming. And both of those truths are important. With just one and not the other, it doesn't put the whole picture into reality. And yet here John is bringing that picture into reality. Something is at hand and something is to come. Hey, can we get into talking about the wrath to come? No, not right now. It'll unfold because Jesus has some things to say as we go along. So I'm just going to hang with what John is talking about. But I think just this idea of a wrath to come is like enough to know. Also in it, just what he says later on. I mean... Friends, the gospel is serious stuff. This is no joke. This is no warm and fuzzy. This is about eternity, and this is about life and death, spiritually. It is about good news, and it is about some bad news. There is a God, and he is holy, and he is gracious, and he has come. And also, we need to know this. There is a holy God who will bring wrath. And I don't say that as a threat, like some hellfire and brimstone kind of guy, but I gotta tell you the truth. A wrath is coming. And John needs to let them know about that. That is actually a loving thing to say. If someone was running down the road and there was a fire right around the corner and you did not tell them about what was right around the corner, I would argue that would be the most unloving thing that you could do is not to let them know about that. And John is letting them know about that. Friends, there's fire around the corner. Repent. Repent is not doing penance. It's not just mere grief. It's also not just an intellectual change of mind. It's both. It's grief and It is an intellectual change of mind. It is a fundamental turning around. It is a radical transformation of one's mind and emotions and actions. Repent is not just a moment. Repent has legs to it. Repent is not just an intellectual statement where, okay, so if I'm told if I walk forward, come forward, and say these words, then I'll say those words. Listen, People can do that and not repent. Repent looks like this. Listen as I read Psalm 51 of David. By the way, David 
walking in the Lord, and yet sin enters his life. And just listen. David, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see the ownership in all that? For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, Lord, against you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Uh, Lord, I didn't just do an oopsie with this whole Bathsheba thing. Uh, Listen, Lord, this was evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, Lord, and I shall be clean. Wash me, Lord, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me, God, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth. I will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise that. Friends, that is repentance. That is repentance that comes from a mind that understands what has taken place. A heart that feels what has taken place. And the action to change and to move in light of what God has done at this point of repentance. And I would suggest that is the kind of repentance that John is calling for. Repent. By the way, that repentance includes confession. Do you see in verse 6? We saw it in Psalm 51. But, but as they are coming, it tells us confessing their sins. They're admitting it. They're saying it. They're speaking it. They're verbalizing it. It's like Psalm 51. It's not just fluffy and random and it's like, oh, God forgives everything and so uh, like I move on. But also know this, this isn't the kind of thing where John is saying, okay, everybody sit down, I've got a, a pad of paper for you. I want you to write out every sin ever since you've been born that you know about. And then I want for you to go one by one and confess it. That's not what's going on here because by the way, friends, that would be impossible for you and I to think that we could list all of our sins because our sins are so much more than we even understand. So this is not you and I going and making a declaration for every, oh, I sinned, oh, that is not what is happening here. John is calling people to come and to, like David in Psalm 51, to acknowledge their condition before a holy God. And to say it, to speak it. 
And then he calls them to bear fruit. By the way, when he's talking with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which, as we get along, it's kind of so ironic. The Pharisees and Sadducees getting together and, like, being a team on something, that is like Republicans and Democrats getting together. I'm telling you, they're just so on different teams. And yet here they are together, and they're together against the Lord. And in this, like, can, can, can we all agree here that John gets in their faces? Agreed? <laughs> I mean, it's like, after Christmas time, it's like, triple dog dare John to do that. And he does. Two times he mentions to them in verse 8 and verse 10 to bear fruit. One time he uses an illustration. A tree that is not bearing good fruit. By the way, it's not even saying that it doesn't bear any fruit. It's saying that it's not bearing good fruit. It's this idea, it's not bearing fruit that is fitting with repentance. And there is the axe. That is, by the way, in the text, is already laying at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Friends, brothers, sisters, I love you enough to say, you look at this text, this is triple dog dare serious. And yet in it, as we read through this, sometimes we just love hearing self-righteous, pompous people just get chewed out. Isn't that kind of nice sometimes? I mean, but I want to be careful about that. Because the fact of the matter is, is we are self-righteous, pompous people ourselves. We just have it in us. I love what Keener says about this, sums it up. John savaged their sense of security. Friends, I think we need to let the text savage our sense of security. So if you just give me a moment here, I would like to do that. Friend, do you really know the Lord is your Savior? Yeah, but I go to, I, I go to church, man. I, I even grew up in a Christian home. Um, hey, John said to them, hey, uh, even your whole in the line of Abraham thing doesn't make the cut. Repent. Have you? Because repentance starts at a place. And by the way, uh, repentance continues there is a repentance that begins. And maybe for you in this, if I can lovingly press in and, and just seriously try and cause you to be uh, standing before the Lord and looking before the Lord, and Lord, it's not really what I think about our relationship. Ultimately, it's what you know about our relationship. And God, frankly, maybe it's been that you have been piddling around with Jesus for a lot of years. Maybe it has been that you've been playing a game with God. And the most fantastic thing that you could do is to repent and to confess it before the Lord. Say, Lord, I have never, for real, come to a place where I have made a decision to move 
towards you. I've wanted what you say you can give, but frankly, I haven't pressed towards you in all honesty. I've been playing a game in my head. And friends, just out of love, there is a wrath to come. And in that wrath, games will not be accepted. Jesus says, many are those who say to me, Lord, Lord, And yet, he says to them, and yet I will say to you, I never knew you. And in fact, in the text of Matthew, as we'll be coming up to in the Sermon on the Mount, it comes up and they reply back, yeah, but we served you, yeah, but we did, yeah, but we served in children, we even served in children's ministry. I didn't know you. Don't be fooled by your own self. And part of what John is helping the self-righteous ones who think they're in a right place with the Lord, he's trying to savage that sense of security, push them off of their comfort zone, and cause them to think, is there any fruit that follows with what I think has been a decision for Christ? And if there is no fruit, friend, if I can lovingly come along, and I do mean this lovingly, if I can lovingly come along and say, if there is no fruit of repentance, there has been no repentance. And you are in trouble. Because fire is around the corner. And you think all is okay. I don't want to see that happen. If you have really never repented, and confessed your sin before the Lord, you need to. In fact, I will even say, right now. This morning. You need to get with someone, and you need to say, I need to repent and come to Christ as my savior. Because I've been piddling a game and conning myself. And by the way, it's not just about that moment. It's about fruit. It's about heading in a new direction. And I think one of the most lovingly things I could do today is press into you and cause you to question, do you know Christ as your Savior for real? By the way, those who know Christ as their Savior, repentance is a part of our life. It starts, relationship with the Lord starts with repentance and continues with repentance. It doesn't mean that we're repenting to earn our salvation back again. That's not at all what we're talking about. But there is a relationship. Now I am in relationship with God. I have established uh, through the work of Christ and through God working in me and receiving Christ as my Savior. I am now a child of the living God. And part of what goes on in that is fruits of repentance. I am sensitive to that relationship. And Lord, I am always to be in a place of when sin comes along and I see it, repent. Hey, parents, one of the greatest things your children, grandparents, one of the greatest things your grandchildren can see is you seeking forgiveness as a pattern of life because we're all sinners. Come to Christ and yet growing in Christ. Well, God, do a work. Do a work. He came to prepare, he came to preach, and he came to baptize. 
I'm just not gonna take much time here because uh, I don't have it. By the way, I'll just kind of sum it this way. The baptism that is happening here is a stunning response. Baptism that was taking place back in that day that those who are coming out to John in the wilderness, which is a cool reality in it all, but uh, away from where all the hubbub is, Oh, even the religious hubbub is. i got to keep going. <laughs> when people are coming out to John in the wilderness and, and Jews are being baptized, being called to be baptized, that was not the norm. The norm in the day was if a Gentile was going to become, uh, uh, was going to move their faith into Judaism, they would be baptized. Gentiles were baptized. And now John is coming and saying, hey Jews, God's people, there's a baptism for repentance. Come and be baptized. This is a radical thing. And as we come along, uh, if you know anything of the Bible, you, you knew that in that day, there, they were, uh, the Jews were racist against the Gentiles. They were the dogs. And now John is calling them to do what the dogs were required to do. Hey, friend, there is something marvelous about being put low before the Lord. Don't ever get thinking you're so spiritually hot. Baptism is repentance. By the way, it is a repentance that is followed in baptism. The repentance is the core of it. Repent. Be baptized. And then Jesus arrives. And I've planned it so I don't have a whole lot of time on this. Because know this. The rest of Matthew is about this one. Okay? So we've got a lot of time that we're going to be investing in studying about Jesus. The gospel. The good news that has come. Let me just read and make mention of a few things. Verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus came. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? In other words, let me, let me put it in modern terminology. John sees it, there's so many things we can talk about that because they're about three months apart or six months apart in all this, they're, they're cousins. Did they really know each other? I don't quite know on all that, uh, in all this stuff, but, but uh, Jesus comes, and John is like, seriously, me baptize you? No, it's supposed to be the other way around, my friend. That's what's going on here. John knows something about who this Jesus is for sure. Verse 15, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us, that's really cool, for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, then John, consented. So here's what happens. Jesus arrives to be baptized by John. And Jesus arrives to fulfill all righteousness with John. So Jesus comes to be baptized by John and comes to fulfill all righteousness with John. What's going on here? I, just, two, I only have just two aspects of this I can note here this morning. Jesus is baptized by John. Him doing that, it is a stunning identification. Stunning identification. And also, uh, Jesus fulfilling all righteousness with John is just a stunning submission. What do I mean by that? 
Hey, there's no Old Testament prophecy that I've come across that tells that the Messiah had to be baptized. So this is not just uh, a fulfill it to do it to make sure and fulfill one of the three over 300s. Something is happening here. If, if Jesus is indeed the Son of God without sin, he has no need for repentance. Jesus has no need to be baptized. No need for what John is calling for here because he is without sin. So why do it? Two aspects. To identify with you and me and to yield to the Father's will. To identify, let me just read from some people smarter than me, okay? Carson. Jesus affirms in effect that it is God the Father's will that John baptize him. And both John and Jesus fulfill that will by going through with it. MacArthur says, Jesus' baptism, though not seemingly appropriate, was indeed appropriate. Jesus could not purchase righteousness for mankind if he did not identify with mankind's sin. He took his place among sinners. Keener. Although Jesus alone did not need John's baptism, he submitted it to it to fulfill God's plan. In a traditional Mediterranean culture where society stressed honor and shame, Jesus relinquishes his rightful honor to embrace others' shame. Friends, what is so awesome about this is we see, as we understand it, the second person of the Trinity submitting to the first person of the Trinity. The Colossians chapter one, supreme one, who created all things, all things visible, invisible, for his glory, is now in the flesh. And that one is yielding to the Father's will, which tells about the relationship of the Trinity in all of eternity, past and future but also relates to you and me. So often we, we, we are just enamored by the fact that the Savior, the second person of the Trinity, came and paid the price on the cross, died for you and me, got his living life beat out of him for you and me. I mean, that's just a stunning reality. But know this, at the very beginning of his ministry, he relates and identifies with you and me. I'm not sure we're getting, because um, I'm way more excited than you're looking right now. <laughs> okay. Um, he is submitting himself to do something he does not need to do, but he does in order to relate to you and me. Okay, I'm seeing more. <laughs> I, I just, I just want to encourage you to ponder that. Because the Savior who came to pay the price for sin, to make salvation and, and forgiveness available to you and I, began ministry in a way of relating to you and me. The one who had no sin and need not do that, did that. And part of that is the identification with you and me. We have a Redeemer that does understand. And he even submitted himself 
to understand and identify. Friends, you and I are not alone. You know Christ is your Savior. You have a Savior that identifies with you, who loves you, who came for you and me. And that is stunning. In the last couple of verses, and I finish. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. I actually don't think it was a dove. I think it's like a dove descending down, coming to rest on him. So all the movies are, no, it's all good. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I just don't have time to go into it and I don't think it's even necessary right now. I just want to note one thing about next Sunday. Then Jesus, chapter four, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Right before... And when Jesus was baptized, immediately, bam, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. Behold, then a voice from heaven says, this is my blood, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. There's just this this relationship, this divine relationship that is taking place, confirming, acknowledging, this is the beginning. The Messiah has arrived. And ever since Genesis 3, the one that was talked about, it's boots on the ground. And we get to spend the next months doing boots on the ground at about 10,000 foot altitude. Watching our Savior who came to identify and to die for you and me. Big God. Big God. And so Lord, we thank you for what you have done and for what you have accomplished. Not even just through the work of the cross, but at the point in the story here where we're at, at the point of where you come. What you have accomplished here. The identification here. The the, the confirmation of who you are. The fulfillment of scriptures in, in so many kinds of ways with John coming and preparing the way. And you have come. God, you are not a savior that is far off and a distant and does not know a thing about us. Cannot have any ability to relate to our situation. No, no, no. God, you are an amazing awesome God in the fact that you are not just God, but you have come and lived among. And therefore we have hope as a hopeless people. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning who has been at a place to where they have been living in a a misunderstood, a false sense of security in you, God. I really do, the Spirit of God, I pray that you would just push them off of their security and help them to see that they need to fall before you and receive you as their Savior and repent. In their intellect, in their emotion, and it showed in their action. God, this morning, would they do that? 
confessing their condition of sin and receiving the full work of Christ and renewed a new beginning, a new walk, a complete turnaround, a repentance that has legs to it. All for your glory, all for your name. Amen.